Welcome back to the Photographers of Color podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Turner, Research Fellow in Photography and Coordinator of the Center for Photographers of Color. For today's episode, we're doing something different. I have a co-host joining me in University of Arkansas, first year MFA photo student, Trent Bozeman. Trent is serving as graduate assistant to the center this semester, and I always love to invite a graduate assistant to interview the guest of their choosing. So today, we're joined by Andre Ramos Woodard. Raised in the southern states of Tennessee and Texas, Andre Ramos Woodard is a contemporary artist who uses their work to emphasize the repercussions of contemporary and historical discrimination primarily working with photo-based collage, text, and drawing. They convey ideas of communal and personal identity centralized within internal conflicts. Ramos Woodard is influenced by their direct experience with life. He is queer and African-American, both of which are obvious targets for discrimination. They use their art to accent spaces of both communal understanding and disconnect between them and the viewer, specifically those of black liberation, queer justice, and those in positions of power and privilege that lack the information to critically recognize problems within minority groups in contemporary culture. Ramos Woodard received his BFA from Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas, and is currently pursuing his MFA at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. So without further ado, here is Trent Bozeman and Andre Woodard in conversation. Enjoy. Yeah, so um, the last time I saw you virtually was for the SPE conference and you were hosting a panel with the design duo Workplay and um, based out of St. Louis. And that was a great discussion. It was was heavy for me, you know, (laughs) going into it. Um, I'm glad you thought it was great. I was kind of nervous about it, to be honest with you. No, it was it was it was enlightening. I I will say that. Um, but I just wanted to to touch on who you are as a person, um, how you first got into making art, and um, growing up in Tennessee in Texas. I believe you're from from a suburb of Nashville or from Nashville, the city. From a suburb of Nashville. Okay. Yeah. So I. So I grew up, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, all my, my mom has like, my mom and my dad both grew up in Nashville. My mom has a bunch of siblings and my dad has a few siblings as well. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the South and it, it's kind of weird thinking about it because I think about my childhood as kind of quote unquote normal. I think I'm lucky enough to have two loving parents. Um, I'm also a triplet and I have a little sister. so. Uh, there's a lot of us running around, but, uh, you know, we, we were blessed to have two parents who could, who could be there. My mom was always there as far as uh, my mom was a mom uh, and my dad was the quote unquote breadwinner. So, you know, we we had we had we had love and that was really, really important to me. Um, but also growing up in the South, uh, at least in near Nashville, Tennessee, and I, I, I moved from Nashville to Beaumont, Texas when I was 14. I was always around lots of different kinds of people. Um, and I mean, 
I mean that from like a from just a like a like a the the rate like how do I really explain it? I don't want to just say I was around a bunch of people from different races because it was much more than that. Um, but you know, I was around a lot of people that looked like me. Uh, you know, not just my family. I was around a lot of black people, um, even though I I have some I have a lot of privileges. Um, I I still grew up around places where there's a lot of, there's a lot of niggas there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I guess I'm thinking more comparatively about about now. I currently live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I go to the University of New Mexico. I'm about to get my my MFA, and you know I I can I think about my childhood and and compare it to now. And, and there's the, the population of Albuquerque is three percent black. Um, you know I, I I when I go on campus I count the people on my hands. And so I guess all that to say that race is really, 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 really important with my art. That's kind of what brought me to where I am today with making work. And I never thought it would because I think I think back to my childhood and, you know, I was really just inspired by, at, the, at first, nothing about race. It was just about anime and cartoons and drawing. I loved to draw when I was a kid. That was my that was my thing. I just used to love to draw Dragon Ball Z characters. Me and my cousin would get together and we would draw Dragon Ball Z characters every week, every, literally every single week. And that was what really was my art. Like that was what introduced me to art, like drawing and illustration. And I picked up photography completely, not, not, not on accident, but it wasn't my first choice. Uh, I, uh, to get into art, I, to photography, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, I, when I moved from Tennessee to Texas and I was in the 10th grade and I wanted to take an art class, but that class was full because I got into the semester late. And so you got photography and you got gym. And I was like, I'm not going to gym, give me photography. Um, <laughs> I was like, I want to at least look at something. Uh, and so I hated it. I hated it. I hated it for a long time, but I, I didn't hate photography more so. I, shout out to Mr. Loker, I love you, Mr. Loker. I hated the teacher. Man, he got on my nerves because it was all about technicality and I wanted to make art. I really wanted to like create something. And all he was teaching me, which I'm glad I learned, right? All was all about, all about the dark room and all about exposure and I, was like, I don't care. But anyway, yeah, at the end of that class, I started just looking at photographs online because we had an assignment to look on flickr.com. How, how uh, unoriginal. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I just fell in love with that website, man. There was just so much on there. And I just, I would literally, so I would share a computer with my brothers. And I mean, even though we were in high school, we couldn't afford our own computers. And we would take turns and I'd be like, all right, this hour is mine. Y'all got to back up, this is my hour, leave. And I would just look on Flickr the whole time, the entire time um, for hours and hours, for days and days. And then the, I just started making the lamest photographs you could ever make um, at first. But I was just, I just, I, I was no longer drawing. I guess I didn't have the time to do so. I was also in band and a lot, a lot of other stuff in high school. But with photo, I had that class, I had assignments, right? But I could, I learned that I could also create, I could start, I could stop thinking about the technicality side that 
my teacher was doing into me, thankfully. And I, and I got a little more creative with it. And that brought me to making art with photography. I kind of have a similar past with first getting introduced to photography. Um, it, I think it was, yeah, I was 18. It was a college course and it was all technical exposure triangle, learning how to save <laughs> for print and bridge and organize files. And, you know, I, I think going about it that way can definitely stifle the enthusiasm towards it. Um, but I was also, I was also curious as to who were, um, some of the artists that informed how you approached photography when you were starting out? Hmm. Uh, so some of the photographers that were really inspirational to me were some of the photographers that I was seeing on Flickr that were making really heavily like digitally manipulated imagery. That was what really drew me to art making, like manipulating the image into something that was like dreamlike or surreal. So I think of artists, some of them aren't even making, I don't think anymore. David Talley, um, I don't think he's making anymore. Uh, Brooke Shaden was a really, really prominent like digital manipulative artist. Kiera Rose. Um, yeah, I mean, it was honestly just uh, this weird niche of like photo manipulators, uh, Rob Woodcox. Yeah, it was like these, these just weird, I mean, they are weird, they were cool, they were real cool. Um, you know, it was just these, these random Flickr artists that were just making your crazy things with, with Photoshop. So those are the people that really blew me away at first. Yeah, and um, I feel like during the mid-2000s, like maybe late, like to early 2010s, like there was a lot of image makers that were, you know, messing around on the internet, like who you were finding via the internet, um, as opposed to like, you know, what we traditionally um but to the listeners that are thinking about pursuing an mfa um how did you reach that decision coming out of high school coming out of undergrad um what was your undergrad experience like and um yeah what made you start thinking about grad school and fine art so i got my undergrad at lamar university in beaumont texas and uh it was like this little hidden gem um beaumont kind of kind of sucks but uh, Lamar's art program, man, the photographers are great. The teachers were awesome. And my undergrad experience was, um, I mean, I'm real happy about it. I, I got to teach under two wonderful photographers, Keith Carter and Prince Thomas. They're, they're both amazing teachers and amazing photographers. And I'm so happy to, to, to work with them um, and work under them. That being said, like the school is pretty small. Um, Within the art department, I would say maybe 80%, probably more of the students were graphic design majors. So it was a very design oriented school. And other than that, we didn't have a lot of majors like I guess some of my other colleagues had. So um, we had like we had photo, drawing, painting, sculpture. That was printmaking. We had that. I think that was about it. We didn't have a lot of the other things that uh, some of the schools have. But, um, but I don't know, I, I, I'm lucky to have teachers that really pushed me um, and could, could, could push my, my work, not just say, this is how you use a camera or this is quote unquote, how you be an artist. They were there for me to push me to make the art that I wanna make. And I'm really happy that I had that push. Um, and to be honest, I, I went, so I graduated when I was 23 from undergrad and I went straight from undergrad to grad school. 
And, you know, I've heard a couple of different things about that. I've heard good and bad things. I, I had originally planned to wait a little bit because I was like, oh, I'm tired of academia. I need to take a step back. But I, uh, you know, I think I, in my head, I was like, you know, I, I don't want to do anything else. I know that for a fact. I want to be a photographer and I would love to be a, like a professor. You know, this, and I, and I want to be an artist. This is what I want to do. And I just applied. I, I, I told myself if I didn't get in to anywhere, then I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to be that upset about it because I had to take the time off. But, um, you know, I, I really was like, okay, I, I know for a fact I want to be an artist. Absolutely. And, and I want to be a photographer. And how, and I, and I, and I mean, I've been at academia for so long. How else can I also think about ways that I can give back to other people that are also inspired by art and also want to take these same paths. Well, I could be a professor. That's how, I mean, my professors instill such a positive energy into me to be a creator. So I would love to do that to other people. And selfishly, I get to look at their art. I love doing that. Uh, so, you know, it just made a lot of sense to me. It just made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and I, yeah, I just pulled the trigger and I found the, the place that offered me the best, the best, uh, the best money. Uh, and, and, and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. And I'm really, and I really love it. I really like uh, the NFA program at the University of New Mexico. Yeah, I'm always curious um, when people go into fine art, graduate fine art programs, how, how much of an in-between time they had, you know? Um, but for the people that just go straight out of undergrad, I, I commend them. I'm like, whoa, I needed to, <laughs> I needed to live some life <laughs> after that, uh, take a breather. But um, how has the, how's your experience at University of New Mexico been if you had to generalize, you know, you say 3% black population, I'm assuming your faculty, um, there's not many people of color an assumption um yeah if you wanted to just run through how that's been so far so far because you're also in your third and final year right yeah okay. yep, i'm in my third and final year um yeah dude it was um it was it was weird uh i i mean getting into it was it was so weird um going from undergrad where they're like here are these assignments and you're like man i wish i could do my own thing and then you go to grad school and they're like just do whatever you want. And you're like, shouldn't you just give me some assignments or something? Like it's like <laughs> it's very opposite. Um, but anyway, my experience at UNM has been it's been so great and so like treacherous. Um, I say I say it's been really great because yo, like my I've, like the photography department at UNM, the faculty. Pff, they are on point. I love them. They are so helpful. Every single one of them is always on my back from day one. Uh, you know, they've always been there for me, even when I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, you know, like, um, I, they, I, I'm lucky at UNM to have, to be a part of a department that really cares for its students and really wants to build a sort of camaraderie. That's what I really, really enjoy about the photo department at UNM. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome there. And the facilities, whoop, yep, I'm here for, yes, I'm using this up. Um, I, <laughs> this is much more, you know, I, I got told by um, someone that had graduated from UNM a long time ago, a painter. And she told me, 
because um, I, I was so confused about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to, how I should navigate the path of being an academic. Um, and she was like, this is your degree and you are paying for it. Even if there are loan money, that's not your name's on it. So you better make this, this is yours. And so I just kind of took that under my own wing. Um, I, my second semester in at UNM here, I, uh, I had a studio visit with my chair, my uh, chair of my department. I oh, no, the chair of my committee. His name is Patrick Manning. He's awesome. Uh, and I was like, yo, I don't want to draw. I mean, I said, I don't want to take any photographs. I just want to draw right now. And I was so nervous because I don't know. I just needed to take a break. I needed, I was, everything was going on in my head. I was straight out of undergrad at a new place. There was no black people for real. Like there was, there, everything was just not cool in a lot of different ways. Even though I had, it was a great opportunity. I was going through it. And he was like, okay, cool. How can I help? And I was like, whoa, I expected to have to defend myself, I guess. Um, you know, like why I wanted to draw or why I was stopping photo for, for, uh, for a little bit, why I needed to get away from that. But yeah, the, it's, it's been great to, look, to work with a lot of the faculty members here. Um, but like I said, um, you know, there's not a lot of black people in Albuquerque. That sucks. It absolutely sucks. And you know, I never knew how much it sucked until I got to Albuquerque because I've never lived in a place without a lot of black people in my entire life ever. Um, so, you know, going here and going to classes and, you know, feeling the eyes, like, just like feeling the tokenism in some places, you know, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. You know, like when I see another black person uh, on campus, especially my first year here, um, you know, that head nod became so much more important to me. I felt it so much more because I needed that kind of confirmation. It's, it's so weird um, when you, as an oppressed person to not have anyone understand and to look around and know that no one else will understand that struggle. It is, it was weird. And you know, faculty members, while as helpful and beautiful and amazing as a lot of them have been, you know, they recognize the fact that they cannot understand that struggle. A lot of them do. There are only, I have one art historian and one art studio, one new, he just got hired, that are black. So, you know, it's crazy when you it, it's it's not always great when you go into a critique and you're talking about blackness and everyone else can say things that they may think are working aesthetically. <laughs> you know, you can't tell me nothing about blackness, you know? Um, so sometimes that is, that is really weird. That is really, really weird. I think that that's something that needs to be fixed at UNM. It needs to be fixed across the board in a lot of places, but um, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses, I guess, to, to ABQ, but there's a lot of pluses, I would say, to UNM's art department, especially yeah, for um... Andre, yeah, I, I had a similar experience, you know, going from undergrad, I, I spent time high school, middle school, high school, and college in Memphis. So, you know, Memphis is known as a black city. Um, and then I go from that to Athens, Ohio, and Southeast Ohio, um, for my first graduate degree. And um, yeah, that was that was eye opening. That was the first time that I could, you know, literally count um, the other black people that I saw, that was a new experience for me because I was used to sort of being the only black person like in my classes at school, but you, you could still leave school like, you know, living in Tennessee, like you living in, in Nashville, but you would still, you know, see black people out and about. 
Um, but this that was the first time, you know, that eye-opening experience for me. So I, I definitely understand where you're coming from on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was weird. I um it was I remember I uh I went to Albuquerque for my first semester and then I came back. No, there was after the first year, I came back to Beaumont and from my family just to visit and all that stuff. You know, pre-COVID when you know you could walk around a little bit. Um, and I remember seeing a black person walking down the street on a sidewalk and I just smiled so much because I did not, I don't see that a lot here. Um, you know, I, I, and then, and then I was like, fuck, wow, that sucks that it makes, like that sucks that this is kind of an epiphanal moment it shouldn't be like that, um, you know, but I don't know. I, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird mix of emotions, a lot of like, you know, like a kind of like a, a celebratory and kind of positive confirmation versus this, like this, this is still kind of, this is still kind of messed up, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's weird. It's real weird. Yeah, it's, um, for me, it, when, I, when I started at Arizona State, last year um being in the phoenix area coming from los angeles like that was a big wake-up call just on the day-to-day -day running errands you know feeling a certain way as you're as you're moving along in the world existing you know um but let's get to the work a little bit um so i was looking through your most recent body of work a mediocre ass nigga and um Something comes up for me when I'm looking through a lot of that, those images, and that involves me thinking about how people are made to feel and to exist, whether it's through their own acknowledgement of their position in this world or, you know, the many external factors that influences that. Um, and unlike I understand how you feel, um, your work you made prior, uh, you are focusing on photo-based collage, text, and negative space to exemplify historical and contemporary discrimination. Um, can you open up about the transition between those two bodies of works in terms of formal qualities and process? I feel like with a mediocre-ass nigga, you're definitely saying what we can and can't look at. There's a, a, there's a bit of... Um, there's lots of, there's a lot of ownership. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I understand how you feel was um, something that I made right, something that I started to make right after I had graduated undergrad. And I had really started dealing with anxiety, like diagnosed anxiety, specifically journalized anxiety disorder. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I was, thinking a lot about the way, like the ideas of understanding, like can, can, I, can someone else, can, how much can someone understand another person? Um, genuinely that idea. Um, I was using, I was thinking about how I could use other people's bodies. Like I was using my husband, I was using my friends and family. I was like, how can I use other people to convey my own feelings? And are these successful and are they not? Um, I, I think I also was like starting to dip my toe into just thinking in different ways conceptually uh, and making in different ways conceptually. Prior to this, 
um, my my undergrad thesis exalted abominations and a lot of the stuff I'd done prior was all Photoshop. It was really really Photoshop based and Photoshop driven um, aesthetically. Um, but I I. I I guess I wanted to, I told myself I wanted to challenge myself and I did. I, I was like, okay, how can I do this in a different way? How can I think about the way that, that my work or my thoughts in a new aesthetic and like, how can I just like really redirect this? So I went about that and um, it was, it was fun. Uh, I say it was fun because I think it needed to happen. Um, I, I get kind of lost in those in those pieces sometimes because um, you know I, I feel like I've come to the idea or at least at this point in time um, I really am set in the idea that um, I can know I there's no one in this, on this planet who will be able to understand me more than me even though the thought is like well your mama understand you better than you know yourself you know what I'm saying um, but at at the core I was using these people's bodies and these objects and and these different things and I was like this how much can someone understand me and my 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 answer to myself always ended up like not enough um you know or not as much as you can and so a mediocre ass nigga was a came directly out of that and it was much less of a thought process it uh I was really sad. I was, I was, uh, you know, I was in an, I was, I made that after my first, I started making that after my first year of grad school. And, you know, the first year of grad school is hard. It, you get lost. Um, I was like, I don't know what I'm making. I was away from friends and family in a place where there was no niggas. Like I, I couldn't even like see black people if I wanted to go down the street. Um, and plus, like, I don't know, everything was just crazy. I just couldn't, I felt like a mediocre ass nigga. I felt like I couldn't do anything. I felt like, I felt quite hopeless in the situation uh, of being away from home and academia. I don't know, I felt like, I just felt like I wasn't good enough. Um, but also I do recognize, you know, that I also have, I'm dealing with mental health disorders. This is also just as much about anxiety and depression as it is about, the black experience, especially like as a black male-bodied individual with depression, how does that look? How is that? How are black people portrayed versus the feelings that I'm feeling? You know, um, how do people see black men versus the way that I'm feeling right now in this moment? Um, and yeah, that that came out of of just a lot of. You know, I mean, when I feel like I understand how you feel with me asking a question and me trying to figure a lot of things out. And yeah, I was trying to figure things out maybe about myself with a mediocre ass nigga, but it was, I just, I, I felt like I had to make some stuff and it had to be raw because I, I couldn't, I couldn't get my emotions and thoughts out any other way. But also I will say it was quite funny to, um, well, I guess my, I had, I've had one show, it was on campus of a mediocre ass nigga and you know, they, they send out the email blast to all the students, all the teachers and faculty and all that stuff. And my friend was like, she was like, I think, she's like, I just can't imagine what all of the white faculty members thought when they saw in their email pop up a mediocre ass nigga. And I was like, oh, I guess I never really thought about it like that. Um, because, you know, I showed that title to my brother 
he was like, eh, that's kind of funny. Um, and there's some humor in that title, for sure. Um, like the idea of like mediocre ass or head ass or anything ass, right? Um, but, you know, the idea of the N-word being so jarring to a, a large group of people um, is also something, I don't, for lack of a better word, interesting. It really is. Yeah, thanks for that. Um... Yeah, so under I understand how you feel. It's it's like you're you're positing these questions and using your subjects or objects to get those emotions across. Um, but with a mediocre ass nigga, it's very much a reaction to what you're going through, and also, you know, it's a sign of the times. You know, with what's with what's happening. Um, but I was wondering if you could talk about some of the specific pieces and I, I don't have access to the titles unfortunately but um the one that stuck out to me was uh excerpt of text overlaid over what i assume is you and your twin or <laughs> fellow triplets um with a white background it starts off with praying ain't gonna do nothing I was um, I was wondering where that text comes from, and you know the last bar really stuck out to me. Nobody cares, but everybody matters. You know, um, thinking about your internalized feelings while also thinking about how black people are portrayed in the media right now. You know, this um, overgoing sensation that we matter, but at the same time we can't even express that for ourselves. Yeah, in public. absolutely. Um... Yeah, that was um that's a that's a poem that I wrote uh that is a, like text in front of an almost like a super low opacity picture of me and my brothers when we were super super young. Um and <laughs> this picture is I'm on the I'm on the far right and they're in the center. Well, they're on the there's on the center and the left and they're both flexing uh like you know as little boys would do and i'm really shy i was well i was really shy as a kid and i just had my hands like this because i was so sh i was too shy to flex i just, I just didn't like my body um as a five-year-old i just didn't like having my shirt off but i was my brother so i was doing it anyways um you know and that that kind of self-conscious feeling you know is a feeling that i think a lot of you know, I, I was thinking about like the walking out, like the feeling of walking down the street and when someone like looks up and sees that it's a black man across the street. You know, that happened to me here. That didn't happen to me anywhere uh, in Nashville or Beaumont, thankfully, surprisingly in Beaumont. Uh, but it happened to me here. Um, and that, that, what the hell is that? What am I supposed to think about that? You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't do anything wrong, but obviously someone else thinks I, I may or I did or I may do something wrong. Um, and so that there's nothing, there's no positive way for me to look at that. Um, it makes me feel like shit. It really does, you know? And so that poem I was thinking about, like not only the, the ways that society makes black men feel because of the ways that we're viewed, but also the stigma that's put on black men to, to toughen up and be a man. Uh, like that's not fair. How can we be the quote unquote worst person and you also act as to be, we're supposed to be the proudest and toughest person. That's not okay. Um, but yeah, like nobody cares, but everybody matters. They don't care. The society is, is willing to exotify 
a black body, um, you know, it's willing to do, it's willing to do anything for respect, right? And that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Nobody cares about everybody matters. Yeah, I made that piece, I think, yeah, oh, man, I made that piece last year. And so I didn't even think about the prevalence of, you know, us really like with Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, this yearn, this yearn for Black liberation, this yearn for Black national liberation. You know, the idea that people in general, right, especially Black people uh, matter. You know, that's, and that's, that's what I was thinking about. No, yeah, I can go off on, I can go off y'all, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Um, and then one of the pictures that really stuck with me, because I, I've seen this image, not this image, but this clip so many times, is of you in the background, or someone I believe to be you, um, handing out a bag of Skittles with an image from a pool party gone wrong, I believe somewhere in Texas, Yeah, okay. um, right above it. And I'm thinking about the unwarranted consequences that come just from the most mundane activities, you know, um, and not even, you know, not even suspecting, not even understanding what might be happening when it's happening. Cause that's kind of what the clip above, like there's so much confusion. And yeah, I was wondering if you could touch on that, on that piece. And also what's the title of that work? Man, what is the title on this piece? Uh, I say that because the, so the original title, okay, so it's weapon, um, but it's weapon, weapon parentheses, uh, Zimmerman, Zimmerman sold the gun that he killed Trayvon Martin with for a quarter million dollars, close parentheses. Um, um, so I absolutely was touching on, you know, the idea that, um, a, a, a black skin and a black body is, is, is seen as a weapon in American society. You can think of it globally, absolutely, right? But this, yeah, this is, you know, this is from the incident in Texas where some black kids were at a pool party and because there were black kids at a pool party having a party, right? They got the cops put on them. And of course, when the cops come into a neighborhood that is not, it, whether it's theirs or not, especially when it's not theirs, right? But when they come into, and see people that are not like them, that's instant. why is that instantaneously a dangerous threat? But obviously if it is, if that's how it is, you know? Um, if, if it's black skin, it's a threat. That's how we are seen. And that's what I want to highlight in this piece. I think about Trayvon Martin specifically, you know? The, you know what's, so obviously the bottom part is referencing Zimmerman killing Martin, killing Trayvon Martin because he went to uh, the corner store and wanted to get a skittle to get some skittles and he was wearing a black hoodie so when you like apparently when you couple black hoodies uh with black bodies that's a, a life or death threat right that's that there is no way to get around the idea that black bodies are seen by a threat especially by the privileged white man or the privileged man in this society um and i think what this piece i feel like has got some pushback a couple of times, but I just can't. I think about, okay, I have a personal, okay, I got a little story for y'all. I got a little personal story that I got for this piece and I can never step away from it. Um, when I went to go make this piece, it was, it was midnight uh, and I was in bed and I was like, man, I got this idea. I just gotta go make this. I gotta go make this right now. 
And my husband was like, oh, oh, it's late. And I was like, yeah, I got to go. I got to go. I just got to go make this piece. So I went to the store and I bought some Skittles with my black hoodie. And then I went to the studio in Albuquerque where the cut were with 3% black at night. And I went to, um, we have 24 hour access to the studios on campus, which is wonderful. But when I got to that building, there were cops everywhere, everywhere. I'm talking like at least like six cars, the lights were going off. And I was like, I was like, is this a sign? What is, like, what is, what does this mean? Why, <laughs> what the fuck? So I, you know, I got into my studio and you know, I didn't make that piece for an hour. I just, I just was in my studio. I was like listening to music. I was trying to get motivated, but I would like walk out of the studio and I would go to the window and see if the cops were there. And then I'll go back to my studio and then I would go back and I would check. Um, and then I'll go back to my studio. And you know, I wasn't doing anything wrong. You know, I was like literally going to make my own work, right? I had I moved to Albuquerque to make art. And I'm making art about blackhead, specifically about police brutality. And why was I scared to be in my studio when I'm just a nigga in my studio and there are cops outside? You know, that's that's what that piece is about. And then, you know, I was I was I was genuinely terrified. I was and I, I had no reason to be terrified. I was like, what if they come up in the studio? What if they knock on the door and ask me while I'm here? Um, I have a key. You know, but what if they do? I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head until they left. And so, yeah, that's why, I don't know. That piece, I, I feel like I should, I don't know. That piece means a lot to me because of that experience. And, uh, and, I, and I had it lucky, right? I was just scared. Could you imagine what happened to Trayvon Martin? Well, that nigga did, you know? Like, that's, that's the reality. Yeah, well, Andre, in that... Um... In that photograph, Weapon, um, there's sort of this intellect in the layering, in the literal layering of that photograph um, because of the, the tonality of the background and you can, you can not, not really barely see that it's a bag of Skittles, but you can sort of barely see that it's your outline and then you know, I'll automatically go to Trayvon Martin and that, and then you layer on top of it that that uh, situation from Texas, which is one of the craziest videos that I've seen. Even though I even I go back and watch it now, I, I watched it recently, maybe a few weeks ago, because it still sort of makes its rounds. And then I was watching a lecture by uh, Claudia Rankin, and she had done a, a video montage and did some writing about that image. Um, but it's also the literal vibrance of that image within uh, uh, the, the collage that you created, that layering that you created. So it's like these visual pleasures within the image, um, subtleties and non-subtleties. And I can't stop looking at that photograph. So it's it's doing things aesthetically and visually, but it's I think it's also effectively uh, getting your message across. Of, of what you want people to think about and to just hear that story that you've like laid on top of it, uh, I think even further extends the conversation. Um, you know, that type of background is so important. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I think, I think that 
I, I guess I, I feel like I was thinking about kind of the, I, I was getting to really, I got into collage with this project a lot. I think it was kind of the immediacy that I can kind of uh, get across with collage. I think about how abrupt things kind of can be. And, and with the idea of slapping something on top of something else, right? I mean, that's how, that's how it feels when I, whenever I see stuff like that. Um, even if I want to get away from it, it's still slapping the face and I, it's a slapping the face to, to us as black people. I mean, it's a, it's a slap to the face of people, to people in general to see this sort of traumatic, and vi traumatic violence, but it is reality. And the, also, the other reality is that is going to be more traumatic to the people that have or may experience those realities, black people. You know, that's hard for us. It slaps us, you know? And I think about portraying that message um, with, the, with, I guess, with the immediacy of collage. Um, and I, I appreciate you thinking, like, thinking of the obscurity in the background. I was, because I was thinking about uh, the ways that, uh, you know, they obscure criminals, um, the idea of what a criminal is, you know? And, and I almost, I, I say that word and I hate that word. There's so much negativity behind it. Um, there's so much unnecessary negativity behind it. And it's so much correlated to our skin and it's unnecessary as well. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about um, the obscurity of criminality, but also the obscurity of blackness, right? Yeah, I, I appreciate your answer and, 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 and explaining everything. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. You touched on a lot of things that I feel like I was thinking about anyway. So I'm gonna read this, Andre. Uh, Andre, to me, photography has this expansive definition, um, even though it can be interpreted as as limiting, right? You know, only working in this 2D format. format. Um, but you can can easily layer with layer it with uh, with other things or easily disseminate it. But as an artist, uh, you're not limited to it and you can move in other directions in, within your studio practice. So I was happy to learn about your use of drawing within your practice. You mentioned in a recent interview, you explored drawing for an entire semester only um, during, during your MFA experience. Um, and then also from an artist talk that you did at uh, Hardwood Art Center, you described drawing as providing an essence that photography cannot. And then you described the family archive and the images within that provided essence that the drawings do not. So can you expand on this statement or what you're currently thinking about drawing in relationship to photography? Totally. Um, I can answer both. Um, you know, I, I, feel, I felt like whenever I went to UNM and when I was making it, when I was really pursuing the body of work, I understand how you feel. When I was making those quote, like straight photog photographs, I was divvying myself away from digital manipulation and trying to do something that I thought I felt was new to me. And that still didn't feel fulfilling enough. So that's why I was like, I'm, there's something that I'm not getting out of this. And I just, well, I was just watching anime because that's all I wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I don't think I can draw very well, but I said I can learn something from that. And that, that's all, that's, that started from that, that idea. And I really did. There's something about putting a pen to paper that is, in, that is inherently different and clicking that button and then clicking that shutter. There's a different way that I look, that I think about composition whenever I'm looking through the viewfinder in comparison to sketching on a piece of paper. They just, and, and I can hardly explain it, but I feel like the medium brought me to a different, to a different mindset because of the way that I have to approach them. 
Um, you know, you create in different ways when you have different mediums in your hand. And so, and I, and I didn't even know that, right? Like I was an art, a studio art major with an emphasis in photo. But in, the, in my head, I was like, well, I'm a studio art. So, you know, I'm an artist a, a, and, I, and I am an artist, right? But expanding to those different mediums was really kind of like pivotal for me. And really, like, I guess my uh, letting go of some of the constraints that I subconsciously had placed upon myself. I told myself that I was an artist, but you know, I was actually more specifically a photo manipulative artist. Um, that's what I did. Um, and, uh, and I'm not done, right? Yeah, but approaching new mediums has really helped me because I understand like the aesthetics of them. I've, I, I can understand how these aesthetics can, I, can, I feel like I can play with them more freely without, uh, without any kind of fear of, uh, of messing up or not being good, you know? I feel like a lot of people learn that you have to learn the rules before you can break them. And if you practice enough, you figure out the stuff that you don't, that you like that's not good or that is good. And with, by doing that with drawing, I, I got to add that to photography. So it was a really fun experience for me. Uh, like, what are you thinking about currently as, as like um, how drawing relates to photography, like as you're moving toward your thesis, as, you, as you're about to exit academia, what are, are you thinking about new things in the Absolutely. studio? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm working on a new body of work actually right now that I've entitled Black Snafu, uh, based off the idea of Private Snafu. Private Snafu was a cartoon from like the, I think, mid 1900s. It was all about like war propaganda and teaching the military how to be the military. Um, but anyways, I've been thinking a lot about um, blackface caricatures and minstrelsy um, because I've been, I love cartoons. I love comics and I love manga and anime. But I was looking at the history of American cartooning and looking at a lot of the racist, unfortunately, but in reality, very racist caricatures, specifically of, of black people, you know? Blackface, that's all over the place. And it has inspired the way that cartoons exist today. And it has also inspired the way that people inherently think about black, black people, you know, from the ways that black people were depicted to white people in comics and through uh, blackface shows. Because, and I say to white people because niggas couldn't access that stuff. Um, it was mostly, it was just to white people. But the ways that black people were presented throughout history and entertainment and drawing have and have affected the ways that people see black people today. It, it, there are steps, they're like, it's like a stamp, you know what I'm saying? You can't get away from that stamp. You can pretend it's not there, but baby, it's there. And the sooner we recognize it, the sooner we can think about eradicating it, you know, why implications are there. So I, I've been working on this body of work that has been me appropriating these drawings from the past and the present, anti-black, and uh, you know, anti BI like POC drawings with photographs that I feel like are kind of more celebratory of the black experience, or at sometimes more of like like the black reality, at least the black reality in America. So I'm I'm been doing a lot of I I want to say fun because I like to make work, but boy, it's hard to look at some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, I've been really thinking a lot about the history of American comics and how race is, is, is inherently in that, especially when people want to ignore race, even in 2020.
Um, I had a question that stems from a recent interview last month you did with Ephraim Zelani Mandel for the blog In the In Between. Um, you mentioned reasons behind your work addressing a lack of space to exist, and you follow that up with um, some key points. Um, but to make that brief, it was to inform, to cope, and to celebrate. Dealing with personal experiences, how has, you know, for you personally, how's the past four years under the Trump administration shaped how you approach finding different ways to reveal and conceal parts of yourself? Oh man, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it has been, you know, I, I'm not, this is going to sound really weird, but it's been overall pretty damn great because I fucking hate that motherfucker. Um, I'm sorry if I'm cussing too much. I hate him, right? He has done so much. He's done things that I don't even have to explain, right? He absolutely has done detrimental things to black people in this country, to people of color in this country, to the working class in this country. But his ignorance, his idiocracy, the past four years of blatant stupidity have opened a lot of people's eyes up to racial problems, you know, to the ideas that racism no longer exists is just an idea. Just because doctrines were passed doesn't mean things don't exist. You know, he's there's been a lot of crap that's gone on. And of course, like we got a lot. Ooh, we got a lot of cleaning up to do and a lot of changing to do. And then it has not started, baby. I mean, like, watch. But that being said, his ignorance and, you know, a lot of people bandwagoning onto his ignorance has thankfully made me realize who I do not need to coincide with and also let me be more proud of myself because if he's not going to be proud of, ooh, if, if our president's is not going to be proud of Black America. You watch me, baby, I will be. Pounds 400 for him. You know, like, I, as, 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 as horrible as these things have been, I am more prouder than I have ever been to be, uh, to be Black, you know, to be loud and Black about, like, loud, loud about my Blackness. Um, and I hope that there are a lot of people that are coming to that realization, too, because there's never a reason that people don't need to be loud about their blackness. And it has been told to us that we do not need to be loud about our blackness for too long. And so people need to come out the woodwork and he's letting people do it. Um, so yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I don't know if you, yeah, I don't think you mentioned this earlier, but what can people expect from, from you, you know, going towards the spring uh, with your thesis show? Are we going to see a bit of a mediocre ass nigga, or are we going to see uh, some black snafu? Hmm, I think most of most of it's gonna be black snafu because um, I gotta get that stuff finished. But that being said, I do have a show in Chicago soon that's uh, a mediocre ass nigga, and I will be making work for that because I like to bounce back and forth. Black snafu is like kind of first and foremost, but a mediocre ass nigga has been something I've been working on and. I'm not done yet. It's, and it's also really therapeutic to me to cope, it helps me cope. So um, probably mostly black snap food, but a little bit of both. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be back and forth. Yeah, I was wondering if it was ongoing or not. So you just answered my question right there, yeah. I have one more, but I think you kind of touched on it. It was, uh, 
Yeah, it was what ways do you see your work informing the viewer most effectively? So I was thinking about, um, you know, how every idea in every way you represent an idea isn't always best served by a photograph or a drawing or something sculptural. And I was kind of, I guess my question was um, understanding your framework behind your understanding of uh, when you want to, how you pick and choose, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I can totally elaborate on that. Um, I feel like it, 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 I, I, try, I try to let it be as intuitive as possible, honestly. I will say most things, especially recently, have ended up starting photographic. Um, I think that's because I have a lot of, like a huge background in pho photography, but sometimes I just let that stuff fly. Uh, I have a sculpture piece in my head that I have no idea how I'm gonna do, but watch me do it one day. Um, you know, some things I just feel like have to exist in specific ways or at least start in specific ways. And I mean, who am I to, I feel like who am I to deny myself? Um, you know, maybe I'll make a good idea. Who knows? I'm gonna make some mistakes too, but I just want them to exist in the first way that I think about them. Um, um, Andre, as, as we wrap up here, I'd like to round out the conversation by asking you what's next. And I know you just mentioned um, you're going to have this show in Chicago, just uh, mention your thesis. Uh, but what's something you're thinking about in, within your practice of long term or short, short term? What's something you're thinking about within your practice in the studio as an artist or life after grad school? you know, considering things that, that are going to happen outside of the academic space? Thank you for that question. Um, I'm thinking, honestly, about a lot about activism, a lot about organizing. I'm thinking a lot about ways that I can really, like, you know, I want my work to be in front of people. I want it to be you know, I'm saying I have a message to say and I want people to hear that message. I'm not the only person with messages though. And I want other people to, to give, to tell their stories and, and say, and, and give us their messages as well, especially through art. I'm here to rally that, those people, especially. But I'm looking for ways that I can, I'm really thinking about my contribution in society, you know? Uh, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but I wanna, I wanna make a change. I feel like a lot of us do, especially after this year, I want to do something, I, I want to be, I want to, I want to inspire and I want to teach and I'm going to figure out how to do that. Even if it's not within academia, I'm going to figure out how to do that. And I wish you the best in pursuit of that, Andre. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for just so much. Uh, sitting here and speaking with me and Trent today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your questions. Thank you. For this opportunity as well. Appreciate it, Andre. Thank you so much. Thank you. All. Great discussion. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation between Trent, Andre, and myself. There will be more conversations to come as we move through winter and spring. But as we move into the new year during this pandemic and with everything that's happened this year, I just want to wish everyone the best going into 2021. I'm going in cautious, but optimistic. And I hope that you are optimistic about it as well. As always, to find out more about the Center for Photographers of Color, you can go to 
Photogs of Color on Instagram and Twitter, and also photographersofcolor.org. I want to thank the University of Arkansas School of Art for making this podcast possible. Thank you for listening. Until next time.